0: you're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Riddle. We're hanging out here today because one day while hiking in Peru, after just having been let go from my dream job, it hit me. There's so much more to life and there's no excuse for not embracing uncertainty and trying new things to really explore our full potential in this lifetime. On this weekly podcast, you'll hear from successful entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and visionaries just like you, so that you feel less alone as you pursue everything you want and deserve in this lifetime. This is a space where big sky thinking is welcomed and conversations about daily betterment are essential. So if you're ready to stop living an ordinary life and start living a visionary life, then welcome home. Welcome back, visionaries. Every day, people choose to spend money with your business for a reason. I wanna know, do you know what that reason is? Are you clear on the thing that sets you apart from your competitors? My guess is that many of you who are listening are thinking, well, I kinda know why people choose me, I think, or yeah, I could probably figure it out, Here's the thing, without clear positioning right now, you are leaving money on the table while your customers choose to work with your competitor because they don't know what sets you apart. So let's not let that happen any longer. Today's guest is April Dunford. She is a globally recognized leader in the topic of positioning, and she has a deep curiosity about what makes the difference between a winning product and a loser. And she's here today to share exactly how we can all become winners through proper positioning. Now, I want you to listen to this episode maybe twice if you're a business owner who has ambitions to grow over the coming months because good marketing requires clear positioning. So this is super, super important. And honestly, it's something I struggled with for so long. Now, I know I'm here to solve the problem that so many online service business owners face, which is going full time and becoming fully booked. It can be such a daunting transition, especially when you're running a business as a solopreneur. You know, you get a few clients here, you get a few clients there, but you aren't sure how to get fully booked. So that is my positioning. That is the problem that I solve and who I am working with. And it positions me as somebody who has a specialty. So in this episode with April, we're going to get into why positioning is so important for growing your business. We talk about the five components of effective positioning and the the 10-step process for writing your own positioning statement. We talk about the most important parts of your statement and tips on how to write it and more broadly, why niching down is actually going to help you reach more people. I know that's a common misconception that if you niche down, there's less people to work with, but it actually is kind of reverse of that Uh, and we also talk about april's favorite marketing books and tools that have helped her along her journey so be sure to grab a copy of april's book it's called obviously awesome how to nail product positioning so customers get it buy it love it and you can find that book anywhere books are sold. So head to aprildunford.com for all of her work. That's april, D U N F O R D.com. And I hope you enjoy this week's episode. April, welcome to the Marketing Hotline podcast. I'm so excited to sit down and chat with you today. And as a marketer myself, positioning is always something that I've had kind of that deep curiosity, but could never quite figure out a formula. And in working with many clients, I did a lot of these fill in the blank statements, and we would always be kind of doing our most educated guess as to what the positioning of the product or the service was. But as soon as I found your book a few years ago, I thought this is what I needed. This is how I can be a better marketer and actually have a proper formula for my positioning. And I hadn't read the book in like at least a year. And so I just re-downloaded it on my Kindle and was reminded of how many awesome nuggets are inside of it. So before we dive into all things positioning, I'm curious curious, what were you up to before becoming an expert on this topic? Like, can you brief us on a bit of your career path?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for saying all that about my book. You know, before the book, I had a fairly traditional marketing career, I guess, except for maybe the start. So um, I started out working at startups uh, in product marketing that was my specialization at the beginning um but i quickly became a a head of marketing um and then i was a repeat vice president of marketing for about 25 years i think in in total i did uh i was head of marketing at seven different startups six of those startups got acquired which resulted in me being you know a senior executive at a bunch of big companies like ibm uh, and I, yeah, so I did that for 25 years. and about five years ago, I made the switch to consulting. And so uh, when I made that switch, I did some thinking about well, what would my specialization be and what would I focus on? And I settled on positioning mainly because I felt like it was a really misunderstood concept. and um, I had done a lot of positioning in my career and repositioned a lot of things and I had, a bit of a methodology together that, that I was following and I thought well maybe I could teach people how to do that and that's how I ended up here.
0: Mm, I love that, and it's cool because I think a lot of our listeners too, our service providers or freelancers, and they feel mm. that way as well. They have a bit of a methodology, but they're still working through how to package it up and how to really refine yeah. that process and make it repeatable. How was that for you? Like, did you go through like years and years of figuring out like what is my formula, or did yeah. you just sit down one day and go, you know what? I know enough. Here are the ten steps. Let's go.
1: Oh, I wish it was that easy. (laughs) No, I actually, I I did spend, I I fall in the years and years camp. So, um, so I, I had had a blog for years and I'd been blogging about things and, you know, blogging was a good way for me to kind of get my story straight on stuff. You know, it's one thing to know how to do something. It's another thing to try to sit down and teach somebody how to do it. And so, um, so I spent, so I started out blogging. And then um, and then, you know, when I decided positioning was going to be my thing, I was trying to codify all this stuff that I've been doing. And some of it was hard because I was actually doing it by kind of gut feel. But if I had to explain to somebody what's going on here, that that would be harder. Um, so uh, I ended up teaching a course. So I, I taught a course at uh, U of T for a while and one at Waterloo. And then I was teaching uh, positioning workshops at a bunch of local startup accelerators because I was really focused on startups. And that really helped me get my story straight (laughs) on, you know, what were the steps and what were I trying to do and how do I break positioning down into pieces? How do we go about doing it? So I probably spent two, maybe three years doing that. And then I wrote the book and writing the book sort of forced me to get it even tighter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and again, then writing the book took another year or so. So, you know, all in, yeah, we're measuring this one in years, not Mm -hmm. months, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, and
0: I think it's an important lesson too, that things don't just like come together perfectly right Mm -hmm. away. Like you may have to start teaching the workshops imperfectly and testing
1: before you come to the finished product. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like it it, it surprised me actually because I felt like I had a methodology right out of the gate. Like I felt like I should be able to just write this down, you know, and teach people right out of the gate. But when you start teaching it to people, you realize all the gaps in your stuff like so people will ask you questions and you'll be like i actually don't know the answer to that question <laughs> or they'll say does this work all the time or does it only work with things like this and you'll be like yeah i never really thought about the exceptions to this rule you know mm-hmm. so It really, your stuff really does get a lot better when you get it in front of live people and have actual audience challenge you on pieces of it. If you're just sitting in the office, it all seems like genius. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the minute you take it out and put it in front of a bunch of people, then you got to deal with the, yeah, but what about this? What about that? What happens if this is all reversed? Um, Anyways, the end result is your stuff gets a lot better uh, and it becomes a lot more, again, codified and repeatable. But yeah, it, it helps to go out in the world and try to teach it and see how people react.
0: hmm and that even is kind of reflective of one of the concepts you teach on in your book. Is that while you're creating your positioning statement, don't just do it by yourself. Like involve other team members from your company yeah. because you can think you have it all together. But I think it's so important to get that external feedback and to bring in different perspectives and challenging yeah. point of views until <clears throat> you really can refine it and like make sure that you're not just living in your
1: own echo chamber all of the time. Yeah, this is a thing I see a lot of tech companies like you'll see the marketing department attempt to just sit down and do positioning because they're like, positioning is a marketing thing and we're going to use it. So, you know, we'll just build it and, you know, and then, and then they'll have the big reveal to the rest of the company. (laughs) And usually at that stage, what happens is the head of sales looks at it and says, nope, don't agree with any of that. Sorry. Uh, I'm just going to keep pitching it the way I've always pitched it. You guys in marketing, just do what you do. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually think that there's great value, like, like a lot of weak positioning comes from different parts of the organization having slightly different viewpoints on the component pieces of positioning. So uh, you'll go to product and they'll say, they'll have a slightly different view on who do we compete with and a slightly different view on why do we win in the market? then you go over and talk to sales and they'd be like, no, no, we don't compete with those people at all. Like who we see, are the, you know, here's our different set of people we compete with, and here's why we win. And then you have marketing, and we have a different opinion about that too. Customer success might have a different opinion about it. So I think it's really helpful to get the team together when we're working on stuff like this, because everybody sees the customer at a slightly different part of their journey. Everybody has something really valuable to bring to the table. um, And we all come with our own set of biases. So I really think positioning is a team sport. We wanna get people together. It's also a team sport when it comes to executing on it. So not only do we want everybody to contribute to the positioning, we wanna all be in agreement and alignment so that when it comes to executing on it, we're all singing the same song. Hmm. So,
0: so important. I love that you brought that up. So I'm curious, because for the listener of this podcast, generally they're in their first few years of running their business. And Mm. they've had some early success. And now they're realizing, like, maybe I need to put together a more comprehensive marketing playbook or marketing strategy. And that's going to include figuring out how they stack up against their competitors and figuring out what their positioning is. But I think before we can get there, (laughs) can you define why positioning is so important to a small business?
1: Yeah. So positioning, if you think about it, positioning is kind of the set of fundamental inputs to everything we do in marketing and sales. Mm. Like if you were to come to me and say, April, we need to run advertising, make us some ads. (laughs) I'll be like, okay, great. Uh, Who are the ads for? (laughs) And what are we going to say in those ads? So we need to understand what your, what your value is. who do you compete with? Where do you win? Like I can't actually do anything in marketing until I can answer those questions. So positioning at its, at its most fundamental positioning defines how our product or our service is the best in the world for something, some value. um, And that there's a well-defined set of customers that care a lot about that. And so we have to define who, who do we compete with? Meaning if we didn't exist, what would a customer be doing? Mm. And then we got to look at, well, what have we got that they don't have capability wise? What can we do that the, that the alternatives can't do? And then importantly, what's the value of that? Because customers don't care so much about capabilities or features. What they care about is like, how's this gonna help my business? Like I work with you, like, what you know, what do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. And then you're not the right fit for everybody. It's just, it's just how it goes. Your product is not the best thing for everyone. It's the best thing for a certain set of customers. And you really wanna have a tight grip on that because otherwise you're gonna waste marketing and sales resources trying to sell to people that actually aren't even a great fit for your stuff. So you need to say, okay, this is my differentiated value. Who cares about that? And how do I get in front of those people? And then um, and then the last bit is this idea of market category. like when people come and say, what do you do? Or what are you, or what is this thing? What's the answer to that? Um, we spend a lot of time talking about this in tech, you know, where there's lots of overlap in, in product categories, but um, you know, what, when you answer that question, you set a bunch of assumptions in the minds of customers about what you're all about. So if you come to me and say, hey, I got this thing, it's amazing, it's email, and then before you tell me anything else, I'm already assuming a lot of things. I assume you compete with Gmail. I assume you got a calendar. I assume you've got spam filtering. But if you came to me and said, "No, no, no, it's not email. It's chat. Mm, that's different. Actually, different competitors, different feature expectations. Uh, everything's different, actually." But when you look at chat and email, I mean, it's 99 overlap in functionality. There, like you can almost see you. You can position it either way. It works the same for services. If I come to you and say, I'm a marketing consultant, well, you would assume I do all the marketing things. You might assume that I'm actually a replacement for a VP of marketing. So I would do everything a VP marketing does. Whereas if I come in and say, no, 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 I'm a copywriter. Oh, well, that's different. If I say I'm a conversion copywriter, oh, that's really different. I come and say, I'm a positioning consultant. Well, I don't expect you to really know anything else except positioning. (laughs) So the way we answer that thing, like like how, what market category we position ourselves in is really important because it's, it's kind of the first set of assumptions that we place in the minds of customers about, you know, what are we all about? Why would you even want to hire me? This episode is sponsored by the What's Your Earning Potential
0: free quiz. If you've been thinking about starting a business, but aren't sure whether you have the gusto to exceed your current salary, this quiz was made for you. Find out what your earning potential is at www.kelseyriddle.com slash earning potential. Is positioning so challenging or maybe people are so resistant to it because it means you have to niche down almost. Like you have to decide who you want to talk to and what attributes you're gonna play up versus being like, we are the brand for everyone who consumes this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think
0: like (laughs) naturally we have a resistance to that because we're like, no, Mm -hmm. like I wanna help everyone. I got into business so that I can serve my community. Um, I'm wondering, is that why sometimes business totally. owners avoid it
1: <laughs> totally totally why and, and particularly in services businesses like when we think about products you know the, your features are set like the, you know your product does and doesn't do a set of things like i mean it, you know i can list the features i know exactly what they are when we're talking about services businesses this gets a little bit harder because it's like well i can do anything for anybody. And you know, and if I can't do it, I can hire, I can subcontract somebody that can. So, you know, really, I can do anything for anybody. So why would I ever want to say no? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the wrong way to think about it. Because if you think about it from a customer's perspective, I don't want, you know, I, I've got a positioning problem. I don't want just anybody fixing my positioning problem. I want somebody that knows something about positioning. So if you come to me and say, no, I do all the things for all the people and all the things. And it's like, yeah, I don't have all the things kind of problem here. Yeah, <laughs> i got a positioning problem. So tell me how you're going to solve that. Mm-hmm. And so the real question we should be asking ourselves is where do we win? Where do mm-hmm. we win? Because if we're trying to be everything to everybody, it makes it really hard to win deals because we're not specialized on anything like why would anyone pick you if we just do all the things or all the things we just do everything kind of shitty like everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) why would I ever pick you and so you're going to have to think about what are the situations where you're actually the best fit for this customer and position around that Mm -hmm. and it's, it's kind of a virtuous cycle when you do that because you know, then you become the person that's really good at that. And it sparks word of mouth. It's, it makes it really easy to message what you do. It makes it easy for people to choose you because that's Mm -hmm. the thing you do, but you're right in services businesses. We tend to have the opposite. Like I, you know, I don't want, I don't want to lose any opportunity. You know, (laughs) There's all these opportunities. I want to get them all. But, uh, but in fact, if you really want to get some growth and, and, and build a good, consistent pipeline of business, you are gonna have to pick like, where, where are the places where I'm actually really great? I'm potentially the best in the world at this thing. And in my experience, the more narrow you can get that, the better it is for your business. Like so if you look at me, like I'm positioned so narrowly. And, <laughs> and as, my, as my business has grown, my positioning is getting more and more and more narrow. And the yeah. more narrow it gets, the bigger my pipeline is. It's like, it's the opposite of what you expect. So at the beginning, I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to focus on. I'm just a marketing consultant. And then I had this problem that people would come to me with all kinds of stuff. And some yeah. of it I was good at, some of it wasn't. So then I said, okay, I'm just going to do positioning. Well, then I got all kinds of companies, like lawyers are calling me I positioned a position to law office and <laughs> like all this stuff. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I just do positioning for tech companies. Mm-hmm. Well, even that's pretty big, right? So I got B2B and consumer tech And I realized, like, I don't actually know anything about consumer tech, Mm -hmm. nor am I interested in consumer tech. So forget that. So now I'm positioning for B2B tech companies. And now I've gotten to the stage where I'm positioning for B2B tech companies, but I don't do really small ones. I -hmm. I don't do too much of really big ones. It's like, you got to have kind of a crunchy positioning problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be a really good fit for me, which is really narrow. And you might think, wow, April, like, how many like how big is that addressable market? Like how many companies out there actually fit into that box? And it turns out lots, lots, more than enough to keep me busy, like lots. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the more I niche down, the more people come to me because they'll say, you know what, what I'm looking for is this really specific thing. And I went looking for that and there's you, right? I asked five people, do you know anybody that does positioning for B2B tech companies? They all said you, And so because I'm so narrow, I've become like, people literally introduce me now as like the, the, you know, the positioning lady. Like (laughs) after a while, you become the person in the thing. And that's really easy to sell.
0: I love that you said the more I niche down, the more people come to me. It seems like it would be the opposite. And I know a lot of like early stage business owners, that's what they feel. Like if I niche down, there's going to be nobody who wants me. But I think you use this example in your book. You say, Think about how many clients you need in a year to be profitable and to reach your income goal. And you may realize that you actually only need 30 clients, depending on what you're charging. And then you give the example in that case you really only need a couple thousand potential candidates people in your target market because you only need 30 people who see your value so don't be afraid to get specific because there are definitely 30 people in the world who you can seek out when you're being super specific so i think that's that's it i think
1: it's really helpful to actually sit down and do that math to make it real because otherwise you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like how does it work? And th- 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 we do this in marketing all the time and lead generation, right? It's like, okay, what's my revenue number for the year? Okay, it's a million bucks. <laughs> how many deals do I have to make to make, how many deals do I have to do? Well, okay, my average deal is this big, right? So I have to make X number of deals. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how many How many uh, prospect conversations do I have to have to convert to that many deals? And then you say, you know, I'm the universe of people out there. Are there enough people out there for me to have that many prospect calls? It's often quite reassuring to do that math because you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's actually not all that big. Mm -hmm. So
0: I think a lot of our listeners, they do aspire to figure out their positioning. And now that you've introduced us to this concept, Mm -hmm. we're feeling excited about it. But What if we truly don't know why people buy from us? We're not sure in our first few years of business, yeah, we've heard our customers are happy, we're getting five-star reviews, people keep coming back for more, but we ourselves as the creator of the product or the service, we're like, I don't actually know what that one or two things are that's bringing people in. And we could try to guess, but I'm assuming that's not necessarily the best way. So where do we begin if we have no idea what our unique positioning is?
1: Yeah. Like, so, you know, I can tell you how I've done this with products in the past, yeah. like um, generally if your product or service is a considered purchase, um, meaning, you know, people did their homework on it. They looked at several options. It's not bubble gum, right? We didn't just yeah. walk in and buy whatever was there. Right. So it's a considered purchase. If it's a considered purchase, then they've gone and they've looked at other options. They picked you, they picked you for a reason (laughs) and so if you don't know what that is then you can go get it by asking them and so i like to do uh interviews with um buyers after they've bought Mm. and and the interview feels a little bit like uh if if you're familiar with jobs to be done or clayton christensen it's a bit like a jobs to be done interview in that we, we back them all the way up and we say hey uh so Take me back to before you bought us, what were you doing? Like maybe you had the problem before, what were you doing to solve that problem? Mm. And so were you, you know, were you doing it manually? Were you doing it yourself? Were you hiring an intern? Were you working with someone else? Did you have some other product you were using? Like, what were you doing before? And then something happened, you know, you woke up one morning and decided we're not going to do it that way anymore. We're going to do something else. So what happened? Like, what was the trigger? that made you say enough, you know, we can't keep doing this with Joey, the intern, he sucks, he makes all kinds of mistakes. (laughs) We got to do something different. Or, you know, maybe the business is growing or maybe like, who knows what it is, but it's really important for you to understand what that trigger is because it's the beginning of a purchase process, right? I woke up one morning and said, I can't do this. And it might give you some real insight into who's a good fit for you. So something happened, you decided to go look for another way to do it. And so then how'd you, how'd you do that? Like, did you, did you Google it? Did you ask your friends? Did you go on a review site? Did you, like, how do you know? And that's important for you to understand because that's where you got to be to intercept these people when they're in the make a list phase. And so then you made a list of potential solutions to this problem um, and you picked me. Great. Uh, why? <laughs> so I want to know why you picked me. And also, while I got you on the line, why not the other ones? And this is important because sometimes um, we see the, we we get interesting intelligence out of that too. Like sometimes people pick you for a set of reasons, but they actually disqualified the other folks for a set of reasons. It's important to understand that too. And so if you do 20, 30 of these conversations uh, with good customers, like you want good fit customers that you'd say, gosh, I wish I had a pipeline full of folks that looks like, look like this you do 10 20 30 of those interviews you tend to get really really smart and so what you'll see is the patterns in the the patterns in the person the thing they're trying to get done the short list of alternatives and all that will give you a lot of information about you know who do who and what do i have to beat in order to win a deal what have i got that's differentiating what's the value that i can deliver that those other alternatives can't And, you know, and who cares a lot about that value and why, which is my profile of a best fit customer. So you can learn a lot from those interviews if you don't know yourself. Mm -hmm. What I find in, um, in products, like in software products, if we're selling to businesses and we have professional salespeople, the salespeople often know the answer to these questions. So if I go to the salesperson and say, what's status quo in the account? They'll know they, you know, they would have asked that when they're in. Um, if you say, Well, who else are you up against? Professional salesperson knows to ask about that, like they'll know who you're up against. So, you know, if if you're doing the selling and you're not a professional salesperson, you can maybe get in the mode of understanding this better while you're in the purchase process. So when a prospect comes to you, you're doing a little bit more probing on, well, okay, like have you tried to solve this problem before? How did you do it? You know, what else, you know, what are you doing today? And then, you know, the person's come to you, you know, maybe ask the question, well, what else are you looking at? Like, are you talking to other people? If so, who, like, how'd you make that list? <laughs> this, uh, a good salesperson would do this because they want to know what they're, what they're up against. Um, and so if you're not doing that, you know, you might start training yourself to do a bit of that while you're in there.
0: hmm So funny because I can remember going back to like writing one of my first business plans. And I remember the section on competitive uh, alternatives or um, Mm. competitors, whatever. And I think like I just sat there trying to think who would be who would I be positioned against? Or like it was all me trying to guess who my competitors were. But I think what you're saying is it's really important not just to assume you know who you're up against or assume who your product is being compared against, but to actually get on the phone, talk to your customers, the ones who have actually weighed the pros and cons of various solutions to their challenge. And I think just the traditional business plan doesn't encourage us to do that. It just says, okay, sit in your office and write down who you think your competitor. And I just, I think that's a really important point that you communicate is to get out, talk to people, talk to the sales teams who is receiving objections and really understand like who else uh, people are consulting with before they come to you? And what was it that they either liked or maybe disliked about the alternative solution? That's right.
1: That's right. And, and part of this is, is, is getting into the customer frame of mind, right? Right. And thinking about, like, if I'm a customer, like, if I think about my business, like, as a positioning consultant, um, you know, what is the alternative to to working with me? It's generally not another positioning consultant. Cause you no. just aren't them. They just don't exist. <laughs> so, so, you know, when I talk to the people, it's we'll do it internally with the people we have and the process we've used before, or maybe no process at all. So that's, that's one alternative. Um, and, or, and, you know, and thinking about that got me to the place where I thought I should have a book because those people trying to do it internally, which is really my, my main competition, um, most of the reason that fails is because they don't have a process. And so if I had a book then at least they could be do it internally with a process. And then if they fail at that then you can do it internally with a process and a facilitator that's me. Mm. <laughs> so then you then you really need then you really need me. But so that's what they do. Sometimes there's an alternative of Um, the agency says they do that. Like we have a creative agency and they say they do positioning. So so occasionally I have to sell against that. Um, But most of the time when a company comes to me, they've already tried that. So they went to their agency, they did a rebranding, the agency sold them on, oh, we'll do the repositioning with the rebranding. But then they get to the end and they realize, we just got rebranded we didn't actually change positioning at all we actually don't know what our positioning is mm-hmm. um so a lot of folks come to me after they've already eliminated that as a possibility they tried it once it didn't work um now they're trying to get at it again so so it is interesting to get in the customer frame of mind and say you know well, what else would you do so in in my qualification calls i'm trying to i'm actually trying to determine do they actually need me? Or could they just do it themselves? Because mm-hmm. I'm kind of expensive. And and yeah, I'm a, and so I'm actually in a lot of these qualification calls kind of going, have you tried to do it yourself? Like, why wouldn't you just do it yourself? You can take my book and just do it yourself. And I'm actually trying to get at, are you actually a really good fit for me? And the ones that are a really good fit for me have already tried that too. And it didn't work for some reason, right? Maybe they got big personalities on the team. Maybe they, you know, they couldn't agree. Maybe there's, you know, sometimes you've got something that's really complex. Like there's a lot of products they got acquired. They're all stuck together. These ones are excellent fit for me. um, Mm -hmm. But because... If they could do it themselves, then I encourage them to do that. I'm like, that actually might be a better fit for you. Maybe maybe you try it before you come to me. And again, that's kind of a different way of thinking about it. Like I actually don't wanna work with you unless you're a perfect fit for me. So I spend a lot of time trying to disqualify people.
0: I love is, that, and I think that's like such an aspirational spot to get to yeah. in your business, where you're only going to work with the people who can truly benefit from you. That you're actually excited to work with because it's your zone of genius. And everybody else, it's right. sorry, I'm
1: not for you. Here's well, and, an and clients love it, right? Like, like because that's what they want, right? They want the positioning expert to help them decide what to do. And so, you know, it, it's part, part of my job is to is to decide whether or not working with me is the right thing to do and sometimes it isn't mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes it's like you know what like some people come to me and i think their positioning is pretty good like so i'll look at it and say i, I don't know i don't think you need fixing this looks yeah. good to me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i think you know maybe you've got a marketing execution problem maybe you got a sales execution problem but so i it, it, and I think that's fair, because the last thing I want is for them to come and, you know, we do the whole thing and they'll say, hmm, that's funny. Looks just like the positioning we had before. I'm like, yeah, I guess it was good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did we, have, you know, so I, I'm in the I'm in the phase right now of trying to be um, trying to be kind of the kind of an honest teacher. Right. When people come like I'm trying to really qualify them and make sure that they're really good fit for me and my stuff and if they're not, I'm, I'm the first person to say, hey, here's another thing you could try. Maybe you try that first because it might be faster and easier and cheaper for you to do it that way. And then if you get stuck, come back to me. And, the, and some of them do. Like some of them go and they try it out or whatever. They get stuck. They come back to me. But a lot of them don't. I get an email later and they go, oh, you know, we did it with your book. It was great. I'm like, that's good. It's good. Good outcome for everybody.
0: This episode is sponsored by The Visionary Method. The Visionary Method is a seven-step system that's going to help you create and launch your business successfully. We've had 200 people go through it, and it's going to help you to generate your first 50000 in revenue, even if you're starting at zero. You can learn more at www.kelseyriddle.com tvm. Well, that's the cool thing about your book is that you go into, I think it's the five components of effective positioning, but then you do this 10-step positioning process so that we can literally try it ourselves and see where we go. Um, I'm curious, when people go through that 10-step positioning process, what are Mm. some important considerations so that they come out with the best possible positioning statement? Like, what are those areas that you'd be like, do a really good job on this section?
1: Yeah, so there there's two places where people where people really get stuck. So the first one is is right at the beginning when you're thinking about competitive alternatives. Like it, it's you got to think about it as I like got a stake in the ground that says this is what I got to beat in order to win a deal. And folks often are not thinking about competitive alternatives the same way a customer does. We talked about this a little bit. Like they'll just be thinking about you know, other people that do exactly what I do. right? And, you know, when, when we sell B2B software, often we're not competing with, with software that looks like ours. We're competing with Excel. We're competing with Word. We're competing with pen and paper, manual processes, and hire an intern to do it. And so I think it's really important to understand that. In B2B software, we lose about 30 to 40% of our deals to what the salespeople call no decision, meaning they didn't, people decided not to buy anything, which means you lost Excel, you lost to Joey, the intern, you lost it. And so as salespeople, salespeople are not used to thinking about that as competition, but we should. And in positioning, it's very important. So if I can't get them to, to stop doing what they're doing right now, I'm never gonna win any business, right? I'm gonna lose 30% of my deals to that. So when I'm thinking about the first step of competitive alternatives, who am I positioning against? I need to think about what status quo, what are they doing right now? But I, cause I gotta beat that, but I also have to beat anything else that lands on the customer short list that they're like, you know, it, it could be option A, B or C. I gotta have both of those. So that's the first thing people get that wrong. Um, the second thing is value. I think value is kind of a, a difficult concept, even for marketers, it's a difficult concept. Um, and so in, in, in tech, uh, we're used to talking about features and sometimes we've been trained to understand what the value of the feature is. So for example, if I say, I got a phone, and it's got a camera and i can say it's 24 megapixels and you know that more megapixels is better cuz you've been trained <laughs> that more megapixels is better so so i don't have to i don't have to hit you with the value of it like hey the picture is going to be clear when you zoom in or whatever you already know that so i can just say hey this one's got 59 megapixels which is better than 24 megapixels and you know that but most of the time customers actually can't do the translation from feature to value so you've got to do it for them and say, you know, I've got this feature, but let me tell you why it's important, right? You can do this faster. You can do this cheaper. You're going to make more money because you can do these three things. And so, you know, I really think that we we tend to over-rotate on features and under-rotate on value and doing that translation from, you know, here's a capability to so what is really important. So what I see in services businesses is people will say, well, you know, we have a specialization in AI or a specialization in whatever. And then it's like, well, what's the value of that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, it means we understand your business. It means the likelihood that this project will fail is way less. It means we're gonna get it done faster. It means we can do it a little bit cheaper because of whatever, or it may mean we cost more but it's going to be right. Like there's going to be way less rework. There's going to be mm-hmm. whatever we can deliver it faster. Um, so, you know, when people come to me, for example, and they're like, well, I could just do this myself in, in the company and which I encourage people to do, but the value of doing it with me, there's, there's a bunch of things that value do it with me. One is um, I come with an outside perspective. And so I don't get as hung up on the on the internal stuff as you do. That's one thing. Second thing, I'm immune to company politics. <laughs> You've already paid me. Yeah. <laughs> so I can speak a little truth to power, you know, like if there's a fight between the CEO and the VP sales, I can get the middle of that. Like, you know, so there's value in having me in from the outside that you just could not get from doing this on your own. And then the other thing is, yeah, you know, I'm kind of expensive. Um, but we're gonna get a good result. Like I'm pretty picky about who I work with, and like if I say yes, and we're gonna do this thing. Oh, we're gonna smash it! <laughs> like I don't have any unhappy customers, mainly because I'm super picky about who I work with in the first place. So we're not even starting this thing if I'm not feeling 100% good that we're gonna get a good outcome. So people pay extra for that.
0: So true. And you have a chart in your book that really helped me understand this, just like giving examples of feature, benefit, value, and how you can kind of start to hash that out um, in your own business. So I'd encourage people to check that out. Now, one of the things that you talk about in Effective Positioning is actually how relevancy and trends can impact your growth and how that could impact your positioning. I'm curious, yes. could you just quickly touch on that? I know that's something you say doesn't work for every business or every positioning mm-hmm. statement, but I'm just curious if you can kind of crack that open for us.
1: Yeah. So, you know, so trends are an interesting thing because um, they actually do change the way customers look at the world. Um, and, yeah. There's a bunch of examples that I give in the book, but there's one that I really like about, uh, you know, there's a company that I worked with that sold uh, database tools like backup and recovery sort of database tools. And um, this was very good business. They're quite a big business, Um, but it's not sexy. It's not trendy, you know, like database tools have been around for a long time. There's nothing sexy about that. And, but they started to notice that their customers got really into a trend, which at the time was DevOps was the trend. So everybody, all their customers were going through a DevOps transformation. And so what these folks did was they took a step back and said, well, if you're going through a DevOps transformation, like, you know, database tools have a role to play in that. In fact, a really important role to play. So they kind of developed a point of view on that and started selling around it. And what it meant was that their stuff was cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So all these companies are like, we're doing DevOps. That's the new hot thing. We're doing a DevOps transformation. And they became, you know, database DevOps. So they'd they'd call in and say, oh, you're doing a DevOps transformation. That's fantastic. Have you thought about database DevOps? People are like, no, that sounds cool, though. And it sounds like, you know, kind of what we're doing. And they're like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about it. Same tools, same product, but contextualized in a way that aligned with a trend So that people could understand why it was important right now. Mm -hmm. So if we can tap into a trend like that, um, I I think it can be very powerful, motivating thing to have a customer sort of come to you right now. So in marketing, we have all kinds of things that are trendy, like people, you know, like right now people are all talking about product led growth. It's like a thing. Everybody wants to do product led growth. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know there isn't kind of a way for me to align with that you know for my stuff it doesn't matter whether your product-led growth or not product-led growth um but occasionally you'll get a trend like i have seen some consultants really align what they're doing with this product-led growth thing because it's hot and everybody wants to talk about it so maybe you're doing like you know Customer intelligence work, or you know, maybe you're a specialist on onboarding, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you could kind of pull in this product-led growth trend and say, well, why is onboarding important? Well, it's super onboarding If It's super important if you're doing a product-led growth thing because, you know, that that's now becoming my customer acquisition channel. So you actually want to really optimize that. So if I was an onboarding person, you know, it would make sense for me to really align that with product-led growth and then make my stuff look sexier and cooler and kind of contextualize why it matters to a company right now. Mm-hmm.
0: It reminds me of a quote, I don't know who said it, it's just a phrase actually, uh, that irrelevant messages fall on deaf ears, and it's like, unless you are relevant, like the chances are nobody's paying attention to you. So I love this idea of thinking of like, what is trending or what is relevant Right. right now, and can I capitalize on it or play up on it um, and if not like obviously don't just like jump on right. a bandwagon just because but I think it is important because relevant and it doesn't messages. mean you're, it
1: doesn't mean you're dead if you don't have one of those yeah like you know like my example of that company that the database tools company a fantastic business but if you can figure it out you have this potential for this acceleration because customers are sitting around talking about this stuff. They're like, Oh, you know, do we have a product like growth strategy? What are we going to do about product like growth? Jeez. Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe, you know, and, and then you're in the middle of that saying, Hey, well, if you're doing this, then, you know, you need my stuff. I think it can potentially be an accelerator or an answer to the, again, it answers the question like, why now, why do I want to do this right now? Oh, if you're in the middle of this, then this is why this is important. Mm -hmm.
0: So good. Um, Okay, so switching gears a bit as we kind of round out this podcast, like I would definitely suggest people should go through your book to really craft an excellent positioning statement. It is probably the best tool that exists right now to DIY it, which I love. Um, So first off, can you tell us where people can get the book slash where they can learn more?
1: Sure. Sure. So the, so the books available anywhere you buy books, like, uh, you know, which seems to be basically Amazon these days yeah, for most. Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> but there's uh
1: but, but you know, you can, get, if you, if they don't have it at your bookstore, you can, or you can ask them to order it. Um, yeah. they, and they, they can get it there. Um, there's ebook, there's regular paper book, and then you can do audiobook too. Cause I know there's a lot of people that don't want to read and they want to listen to this stuff. And then you get, you get to hear, and I narrated the audiobook cool. too. So you can get that there and that's on audible or anywhere else you get audiobooks you can get it there um my website's aprildunford.com so you know you can have a poke around there occasionally i blog but it's pretty random like these days i'm not much of a blogger um and uh i don't really participate on social media anywhere but, except twitter and mm-hmm. and even then i'm a pretty lazy lazy tweeter <laughs> but um but occasionally i you know i i'm I'm tweeting out some thread about some positioning thing that's going through my mind right now, but yeah. Love that. And I'll link all those in the show notes.
0: And so, Now my next question is, I think I read somewhere, I don't know where this was written, but you used to dive into all the marketing books. And one of the things that inspired you to write your book was that you didn't see a book on positioning. So my question is, because you have read an array of marketing books, are there one or two that you would suggest in addition to reading yours to help a small business owner to learn marketing, grow their business in a unique or innovative way?
1: Well, so, you know, the original book on positioning is by these guys called Reason Trout, and it's called Positioning the Battle for Your Mind. And I actually think that's still a great book. It's a great primer on what the heck is positioning? Like, why should I even think about it? Um, My book is a bit more on the how-to, like how am I actually going to get positioning done? because um, that frustrated me that that book didn't have a how-to part. So that book is really old. It was written in the 80s, but I still think it's an excellent book. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you go to marketing school, it's the book you'll be forced to read, to learn positioning. I, and I still think everyone should start there. It's a great book. You should read it. Awesome. Um, I actually have been spending a lot of time lately thinking about, sales and and how customers buy and how do we take positioning and make it real when we're in a sales process and the best book i've read around that is this book called the challenger sale and it's about 10 years old now and but that is that is a really um I think that book is genius. I, I've come back to buy that book like fifteen times, and every time I read it, I'm like, "That this is some genius stuff." <laughs> so I would recommend everybody read that. I think it's a good book. It's not. It, there's a lot of components of the Challenger Sale that I would consider marketing. Like it's 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 contrived as a sales book, but it's really about how do we craft a story um, that gets customers thinking about things in a different way so that we can sell them something. Mm. Anyways, I think it's a genius book everyone should read. It.
0: Awesome. Thank you for those recommendations. And yeah, even though the challenger sale has come up so many times in conversation, I've never read it. So maybe this it's will a be hard catalyst. It's a hard read,
1: I'll tell you. It's not <laughs> an easy read. It's, yeah, it's not a light book. <laughs>
0: Well, one thing I can say about your book, and I've heard you say this on another podcast, it should be crushable in like three hours. You're sitting at yeah, three plane and a half hours. You man, learn positioning. <laughs> yeah, and it is. It's like learn what you need to learn, get the examples and the case studies, and everything is yeah. reinforced, and then you're done. You can go on to actually doing your positioning statement. So I feel that. like
1: I, you know, I I did that on purpose because I, you know, I, I thought the target market for my book would be CEOs of startups. That's my main people that I'm selling to. And I I went and interviewed 50 of them and I talked to them about books and how they read books. And the thing I heard the most often is that the books are too long. Like people, you know, I'll get on a plane, I'll start a book, I'll get halfway through and then I don't finish it. And I'm mad because there's all this filler and I feel like they're just stretching it out for the for the sake of stretching it out. And so I heard that loud and clear. And I thought, you know what, with this book, I need to be really respectful of people's time. And so I need to be able to condense it down to something that people could get through in a short plane ride and be done with it. So Mm. that's why it's as short as it is. Like it started out a much longer book and it got really condensed.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting too. But um, I appreciated the conciseness of it. So thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Well, April, this has been so wonderful. I know our listeners got a lot of value out of this and they're excited to go do their positioning statement. So I would encourage all of them to go check out your um, links online. Definitely grab a copy of the book. And we want to say thank you for dialing into the marketing hotline. It's been such a pleasure to chat. Hey, with you. thanks.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Riedel. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.